please take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 15. We'll be in Luke chapter 15 this morning as we continue with our study of the parables of Jesus. And so we're in about week four or five now, and we're in a section called that I've just called the parables of lostness. And so we've looked at the parable of the lost sheep, and we've looked at the parable of the lost coin, and this is the third parable of lostness that Luke gives us in chapter 15 um, of his gospel. Now, that's important to remember. It's important for us to remember because Luke wants us to take all three of these parables together. And when you look at all three of the parables together, you get a much deeper and richer understanding of God's heart for what he has lost. Now, while all three are meant to be taken together, the parable of the prodigal son by itself is probably the most famous and the most beloved parable of Jesus. For many, even in this room, this is probably your favorite parable of Jesus. Now, even for irreligious people or for secular people who know nothing of Jesus, they've heard of the prodigal son. They've even used the term. Now let me add here that that title, the title the prodigal son, is misleading and is somewhat unfortunate. If you look at the very first line of verse 11, Jesus introduces what would be a more fitting title of this parable. This parable is really, it says there in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. So this parable is about two sons, not just one. This parable is about a loving and compassionate father who has lost both of his sons. Now, one is a short-sighted struggler, and the other is a blinded, is blinded by his own self-righteousness. But both are no less lost. And so what we're going to do this morning is walk through this incredible short story. Probably, in my opinion, I am biased, the greatest short story ever recorded in all of history. I cannot think of a greater short story that has ever been published than The Prodigal Son. And specifically, we're going to look this morning at how we view our father and his love for what he's lost. So I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 10, and then we will go through uh, the rest of the prodigal son as I break it into sections. So look what he says there, because we're going to take all three parables together. Luke chapter 15 says, Jesus says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now let's begin the story of the prodigal son. Here's my first point. We're going to break it into three sections. Number one, a father loses a son. That's how Jesus begins this story. A father loses a son. Look there at verses 11 through 13 as I read them. He says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now as Jesus begins this story, you'll notice that he doesn't give much backstory or much of the details about this family or the relationships or how they were developed or what was going on. He simply transitions from the, the parable of the sheep to the coin to there was a man who had two sons. And he simply states that the younger son makes an unbelievable request of his father. He goes and asks his father to give him his inheritance while his father is still alive and well. And next we're simply told that the father obliged and divided, literally, the text says, divided the life between them. The word translated property is the word life in the Greek. The point here is that the younger son wanted what was going to provide life and sustain his father and family in the years ahead. While it could be speculated here that the son wished his father dead, the text doesn't demand that necessarily. But at a minimum, this younger son acted as though he had no regard for his father or for his family's well-being and future provision. The truth is this, he wanted his father's property and wealth, wealth, but he did not want a relationship with his father. It's a tragic story, right? And within days of receiving the property and having just enough time to gather his things, this younger son leaves for a distant country. Now what Jesus does here is masterful. Remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to the scribes and Pharisees. And all of those listening at this point in the story would have been angry at this lost son. He's broken every cultural norm. And he's broken every cultural norm that is aimed, by the way, at protecting aging parents. In fact, if you were to go back to the culture of the day... If you were to fail to care for aging parents in the ancient world, it was considered an imprisonable offense. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 allows for rebellious sons just like this to be stoned. Worthy of death. According to one ancient Greek writer, Lucian, prodigals were to be considered criminals who should be disowned and exiled from society at large. So that's the Hebrew culture and the Greek culture all coming together in Jesus' day. Jesus is raising the temperature in this story. He's saying this is a guy who should be hated and disowned. So what the son does here 
is he treats his father as though he's basically dead and refuses to care for his family as would have been expected. Instead of honoring and respecting him, he simply uses him for his own benefit and the satisfaction of his own desires. Father, give me what you would have given me if you died. Now, if this isn't bad enough, we are told that not only does he completely disregard his father, he squanders his father's property in reckless and riotous living. The point here, and here's the point, you've got to get this. This is why Jesus is a masterful storyteller. The point here is that the father has lost his son relationally. He's no longer a part of his family. He's considered dead. He's lost his son not only relationally, he's lost him physically. He's in a distant country. He's moved completely away. He is not physically able to be present with him. He's lost his son spiritually and morally by the reckless decisions he has made. I just had this question. Does this describe any of you this morning? Are you a son or a daughter who has wished their heavenly father dead? You've run away from him and you've been running ever since. You've made horrible decisions. You might have wrecked your life relationally, your family. You think there's no way home. You've done too much wrong. Maybe you're angry over this, the reckless living of someone else in your family. Some prodigal who has left and you recognize the posts they've abandoned and the responsibilities they've squandered and the resources they've spent. And you, like those that are listening to Jesus' story today, are angry. And you're like, he should get what he deserves. Then you need to hear the rest of Jesus' story. Notice my second point. The fa a father compassionately receives a lost son. Look at verses 14 through 24. This is not what you expect to happen. Look there beginning in verse 14. He says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. 
And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the story proceeds at the beginning here to get worse, doesn't it? It gets worse. The son has squandered everything. And now he's hit a new low for Jewish listeners. He's now in the fields among Gentiles feeding pigs. And he's so hungry that he even wants to join them at the feeding trough to eat alongside them. He's completely isolated with no one willing to care for his needs. Completely destitute. But something happens in verse 17. This lost son comes to himself. We're not told how. Maybe he's hit rock bottom. Maybe he's lost everything. Maybe the reality of poverty and hunger, hunger have hit him and he's sobered up. We don't know. Maybe he's had a jailhouse conversion or a foxhole conversion, as some would say. Jesus doesn't speculate. Jesus simply says he comes to himself, realizes his condition, and he decides to come home. His father's servants have it better than him. And he'd be happy just to go be a servant. I don't even care about being a son anymore. I just want to go home and serve if I can eat. The father doesn't care, right? So what does he do? He has no thought that he could be received as a son. He rehearses his speech and heads home. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. Now the story takes a surprising turn. Again, what happens? When the son comes into view, says when he was still a far distance away, the father sees him. He's not filled with anger. He's not filled with resentment. He's not filled with, I'm about to give him a speech. No, it says that the father sees him at a distance and is filled with something. He's filled with compassion. The picture here is he's been watching and waiting. He knew the road that his son left on. My son left in that direction, and that's the direction I'm going to watch. Because that's the direction he's going to return from. And his father sees his lost son, and he cannot wait for his son to come to him. Instead, he gathers his robe and runs to meet him. The father doesn't care if that makes him look undignified, if it makes him look less respectable. He sees a lost son, and he comes running. He embraces him, holds him, falls on him, kisses him. And the son begins the speech that he's rehearsed and practiced all the way there. And do you notice something? The father doesn't let him finish. He doesn't say, Dad, I've only got through half the speech. His son stops him. I mean, his father stops him in the middle of his speech. Doesn't let him finish. Instead, he calls for a celebration. What does he do? He tells his servants. He sees the son's destitute condition. He says he needs to put a robe. He doesn't need to wear these clothes. He needs to have a robe. He needs to have a ring. And he needs to have shoes. And he needs to be fed. He calls for the servants to come and take care of the needs of his son. Now, that's incredible, right? They must celebrate because something miraculous has happened. 
It is a time for celebration. Notice the words in verse 23. He says, this my son was dead. This my son was dead. I just want to be a servant, dad. This my son was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. My son is to be received, to be welcomed, and to be celebrated. Now here it is. Lost son and daughter. Do you hear the heart of Jesus? The father receives and welcomes and celebrates every lost child that comes home. That's what our father does. He runs out to meet them. He is watching and waiting for them to turn the bend in the road to come home. Now, we should expect, by the way, the story to end here. Just like the first two parables that Luke has given us, right? We should expect the story to end here, right? The first two parables end with a celebration. The, the lost sheep has come home. Let's celebrate. The lost coin has been found. Let's celebrate. The lost prodigal has returned. Let's celebrate. This is what makes this story so unique. The reason it doesn't end here at this celebration is because this is a story not about one lost son, but about two lost sons. Not just the one. Notice third, a father compassionately pursues his other lost son. Look at verses 25 through 32. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. The father, his father, came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now remember here the context of Luke 15. Jesus is addressing the scribes and Pharisees, right? Who are grumbling and complaining that Jesus is eating and fellowshipping and receiving tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus refuses to separate himself from them. From those that are considered irredeemable outcasts and sinners. So Jesus tells these parables to show the scribes and Pharisees why they shouldn't be grumbling, but they should rather be rejoicing at the lost being found because all of heaven is rejoicing right now. Like I mentioned in my last sermon, these parables serve as an invitation. They're an invitation even to the grumbling and complaining Pharisees to recognize God's mercy and to respond appropriately to God's grace even towards them and towards others. The point is God's heart 
goes in both directions. There are those of us that will have compassion on a prodigal, but not on the self-righteous. There are those of us that will be self-righteous, but not have mercy on the prodigal. And God's heart goes in both directions. See, we have to recognize that God's heart goes out towards the outcast and the downtrodden. And it even goes after the self-centered and self-righteous because that's what grace does. That's what we see here in these verses. There's a celebration going on because the father has received his son. And in his anger, the older brother refuses to go in to the party. Do you see the language there? It says here that the father goes out to him. The father leaves the celebration to go out to the older brother who refuses to come in. Just like he went out after his lost son. So the father here listens to his older son's complaints. Look at the the self-righteousness of this older son. Look what it says there. He says, I never disobey you, father. I never disobey you. You never gave me a young goat. Yet this son of yours who hated you and tried to destroy our family, you give one to him? And notice how the father answers. The son keeps talking about never, never, never. And look what the son, look what the father says. He says, son, you've always lived with me. You've always had my blessing." And you still don't know who I am. You've lived with me all these years and you don't know who I am. You don't know my heart. You are lost to the truth of my compassion. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. You've been trying to earn all these years what I only give by grace. You think because of all this hard work that makes you my son. I love you just like I love him, by grace. This isn't simply my son who's returned home, he's your brother. Now don't let that that phrase skip you right there. The father says, the, the, the older brother says, this your son has squandered everything. And he says, this your brother has come home. That's the truth the Pharisees needed to realize. That these are their brothers coming home. These are their brothers and sisters coming back to their father's table. We are family and we must celebrate. Now let me wrap this up. Let me me just ask this question. What can we learn from this incredible story? Let me give you five quick truths here that you need to understand about what Jesus is trying to press home here. The first is this. I want you to see the misery of sin and self-righteousness the misery of sin and self-righteousness you should see this all through the story they're two sides of the same coin to live without any regard for God and his word that's the prodigal son the older the younger son that leaves to live without any regard for the father or his word is the same as as living without any regard for God's mercy towards what he's lost right One says, I don't need God, I'll live however I want. That's the misery of sin. 
The other says, I don't need God's mercy. I'm righteous in and of myself. I've earned my place and in God's house. Both seek to justify themselves by what they do or they don't do. Both are salvation by works. Both absolutely disregard God's grace and provision for us in Jesus. And both are miserable. That might describe some of you this morning. You might, you might identify more with the older brother than the younger brother. Or you might identify more with the younger brother than the older brother. The truth is, they're two sides of the same coin. The misery of sin and the misery of self-righteousness, they all lead to the same thing. It's not understanding who you are in light of Jesus. Which brings me to my second point. The beauty of repentance. The beauty of repentance. All three parables taken together show us the necessity and importance of repentance. We see several key issues regarding repentance in these three parables. The first is this. In order to repent, you have to be awakened to the truth of your condition. That's what you see back in verse 17. This is the work of God's Spirit in our lives as this young man comes to his senses. Right? Sheep don't repent. Lost coins don't repent, but people do. And what you see here is the first step of repentance is coming to yourself and being awakened to the truth of your condition. Second, there has to be an acknowledgement and confession of sin. You see that in verses 18 and 19, like David's repentance in Psalm 51 after he committed adultery and murder with Bathsheba against Uriah. David writes this, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's what you see here with the prodigal. He has repented. He has come to himself and, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That line is straight out of Psalm 51. But third, and here is the key, he returned to his father. You see, you can acknowledge your condition and even acknowledge your sin and not actually repent. Unless you return to your father. If the young man stayed in the distant country and was not come, did not come to be reconciled to his father, it's not real repentance. You have to come back to the father. It wouldn't have been repentance if he didn't. You turn from sin and return to the Father. Listen to Isaiah 55. God makes this promise. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now here it is. What good is repentance if the Father will not receive you? What is the glorious news of the, of the parable here? If you repent, the Father's arms are open and waiting. What good would it be to turn and come to your senses if He rejects you? The hope of the gospel is there is no Son that the Father will not receive. Third, so notice first again, the misery of sin and self-righteousness, the beauty of repentance, and third, the unbelievable grace and compassion of the Father. This is, the, this is the point of the story, is that God's compassion is unbelievable to the point of being ludicrous. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. God, this, this has to capture your thoughts sometimes. Has this thought ever went through your brain? God cannot be this gracious. There is no way God can be this compassionate. Have y'all never been tempted by that? I've had that thought a thousand times. There's no way God is this good. There's no way He can be this compassionate. That's the point of the story. 
God is gracious to the point of it being unbelievable. It's impossible, and that's the point. You cannot escape the fact in these three parables that it is God who has lost something. God lost the sheep, God lost the coin, God lost his two sons. And you can't escape the fact that it is God who alone is pursuing them. It is God that is chasing them. He is, God is the one who is compassionately pursuing, searching, seeking, finding, and rejoicing. All of these things belong to God, and it is Him who has lost it. And guys, that changes everything about how we view other people. It is God is the one who has lost His people. It is God who is searching for and pursuing them. So when we look at somebody and go, ah, who, who cares about them? They're lost. Let them go. That's not how God feels, because you don't intimately understand that it is God who has lost it. The whole story of the gospel is not the fact that we've just wandered away and let people do what they want. That's fine and dandy. You can think that. The point of the gospel is we are lost and it's God who is so moved with compassion that he, pers- he passionately pursues us. We need more of an understanding from God's perspective than from ours. It is God who has lost things. God sees each person as someone of great value to him. God sees every person as someone of great value to him, having been made in his own image for his own glory and for his own fellowship and friendship. It is sin, who has, it is sin that has broken that relationship and has caused it to be lost, and it is God who is seeking to restore it. The unbelievable grace and compassion of the Father. Fourth, from this story, we learn to understand our identity. In light of our Father's compassion. You have to understand your identity in light of who God is. What do I mean by that? Both sons in this story have an identity problem. Both sons have an identity problem. One doesn't want a relationship with his father. And once he came to himself and repented, he only wanted to be a servant. He didn't understand his relationship at either end. The other, the older brother, lived with his father, but only felt as though he was a servant, that he had to earn everything from his father. Both misunderstood the truth of what it meant to be sons. Dead, alive, lost, found, servant to son. And this is where we must understand our own identity, even in the midst of our struggles with sin and hard-heartedness. Listen, if you have come to Christ by faith, you are a son and a daughter regardless of how you ever feel. Regardless. Guys, if I banked my Christianity on how I felt, I would never ever feel as though I'm a child of God. This is the same relationship we have with our children, isn't it? Do I wake up every day thinking my children have to earn my favor? They have to earn my relationship? That they're trying to earn their place in my family? No. It's because you're my son. I love you. You belong to me. I love you. That's the point. We must understand our identity in light of our Father's compassion. And finally, the necessity of celebration in the joy, the, the, the necessity of celebration in the life of God's children. Do you understand the story? Neither of these sons could fathom a love that accepted them as they were by grace, and that's why they couldn't understand the celebration that was going on. The first son had no reason to think the the father would throw a party 
when he came home. The second son couldn't believe the father would throw a party in the light of the circumstances. The point here is for the Pharisees and the scribes who were watching lost sons come home through Jesus. They can't understand how grace had united them together as a family that Jesus didn't expect scorn and derision. He expected a party. And listen, some of you need to know this. Jesus knows how to party. Jesus knows how to party harder than any of you ever have partied. The, point, the thing is, you think partying somewhere else is actually more of a party. It's not. Jesus alone knows how to celebrate and rejoice and throw a banquet for his people on the basis of repentance. Don't you notice how this ends? The first son repents and is welcomed at the party. And we don't know, what the, we don't know about the second son, do we? The reason it ends this way is because the invitation to repentance is still being held out to the self-righteous brother. The Pharisee standing in front of Jesus. Jesus is saying, are you going to come into the party? Or are you going to stay on the outside? Because as long as you stay on the outside, you don't understand the Father's compassion. These parables give us a window into the heart and compassion of Jesus that God has for us. Ever pursuing His children by grace. Now this morning as I close and I pray, where are you in the story? Where are you? Everybody finds themselves somewhere. Where are you? You're either, the, you're either the prodigal that needs to come home. You're either the younger brother that needs to come into the party. Or you're standing next to the one stand, telling the story. And you're saying, Jesus, make me more like the father in this story. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, you need to come home. On whichever side of the story you're on, you need to come home. Maybe you've been running far too long and you think God would never receive me. You need to hear in this story that God's arms are open wide and he will run to meet you wherever you are. This morning, if you're the self-righteous older brother that doesn't like the party going on because sinners are repenting, you need to repent too. You need to come in and rejoice at anyone who comes to Christ. This morning, if you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of ours where we are going to have a heart like Jesus, passionately pursuing the lost. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would speak now clearly to us as we open our voices and our hearts to sing. And, oh God, I pray if there's someone here that does not know Jesus, that today will be the day that they come home. Father, I pray for prodigals to repent right now today. Father, I pray that they would come and be restored in their relationship to you. Father, we ask that you would bless this time as we pray and sing. We ask this in Jesus' name.